0: Welcome to the A Cole Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Eindert. I'm Lead Advisor and Senior Analyst with A Cole. My guests today, I have two guests today, are two colleagues of mine. Um, first of all, we have Annie Bailey. Um, she is a Senior Analyst uh, and she's working out of Austria. Hi, Annie. Good to see you. Hi, Matthias. Thanks for having me back. And we have Mike Small. He is an analyst and he is really focusing strategically on cybersecurity and on governance and he is working out of the UK. Hi, Mike, good to see you. Hi, hi guys, and uh, thank you for inviting us to uh, this uh, discussion. Today, we want to talk about a topic that is a very fresh topic that has happened just a few days ago when there has been an announcement that made the press that the EU the EU and the U.S. have signed a data transfer deal to ease privacy concerns around the transfer of personal data between uh, the EU and the U.S. And that made quite some noise and quite some headlines. So, first of all, why is that? What is the fuss about So,
1: what all the fuss is about is that President Biden came to Europe because there is a war going on in Europe. And one of the things that was announced was that there is a potential agreement between the US and the EU in the area of privacy. So, to me, it's really interesting that given the enormity of the circumstances that brought President Biden to the EU, that it was important enough to discuss the area of privacy of personal data at the same time.
2: Yeah, well, I think that leads, uh, or that brings a lot of questions to to what brought us to this point right now. So, um what was the lead-in to this discussion and this this agreement, which we don't have details on yet, but we know exists.
1: Okay, so the background to this is that uh, a a law student called Maximilian Schrems, based out of um, Vienna, uh, objected to the fact that when he put his personal data into Facebook, where Facebook said it was being held in Ireland, he discovered that it was being transferred to the US. And so he took um, Facebook to the European Court. And the first of these um, uh, litigations that he started ended up with uh, the Uh, invalidation of what was called uh, safe harbor, Uh, and that led to the privacy shield, which was the guarantees that were given by the U.S. over the treatment of personal data. Now, uh, Dr. Schrems disagreed with uh, the provisions that were made by the privacy shield, and so he took uh, Facebook and others to the European Court of Justice a second time uh, and the result of that was that in July 2020 there was this judgment which was called Schrems 2 which had the the uh, overall effect of invalidating the privacy shield um now so uh in 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 terms in more detail Perhaps uh, we can go back to that. But ultimately, this means that the, uh, the, the 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 steps that were taken by the US to protect the privacy of European residents' data that was held in cloud services or in any other way in the US uh, were, was deemed not to be fully compliant with GDPR, and this led to uh, obviously a lot of inconvenience and a lot of problems for organizations
0: but what actually does that mean for organizations that do that that want to transfer data from the EU to the US what what was the result of this schrems 2 um, judgment
1: well that that's really an interesting point because uh, so this this judgment took place in July 2020 and uh Everybody wondered what that really meant and so the European data Protection board spent six months or thereabouts uh, looking at what that really meant and in November 2020 they produced a draft document which was their recommendations and uh, in in a way this document was absolute dynamite it it, uh, it was Almost totally ignored, but it was really dynamite, because what that document, uh, what those recommendations said was that legal uh, legal safeguards are insufficient, and the reason for that is that um, you can have a contract between your organization and a cloud service provider. But that contract is lower in the hierarchy of things than uh, government uh, legislation. So in in specific terms, within the U.S., the Patriot Act overrides any of the contracts that you might have with any of the U.S.-based cloud service providers. So that means... That you could, uh, you you could find that the US government or the Chinese government or some other government could actually demand legally of the uh, cloud service provider that they hand over your data and, uh, the cloud service provider would have to do it. So as a consequence of this, uh, the EDP said that organizations were responsible for checking that the cloud service provider uh, provided uh, equal safeguards to, the, to what there are in the EU. And if they didn't, the, uh, the, the organization themselves had to take what were called supplementary technical measures. And these are uh, fairly onerous uh, in terms of what you had to do.
2: Perhaps I can jump in and just uh, draw attention to that, what you just said, um, so that if contracts are not sufficient then um, to protect organizations, it's really up to organizations themselves to take on that responsibility to check and then implement um, additional safeguards. That's perhaps in a nutshell what SHREMS2 is all about.
1: Yes, in a nutshell, that's what it is all about. Mm-hmm. And those supplementary technical measures are not insignificant, and they depend upon, um, uh, you know, exactly what the data is is doing. So, for example, if all you are doing is storing the data passively, then you can satisfy those requirements by encrypting the data using state-of-the-art encryption, and keeping hold of the encryption keys in the EU. Now, so that's kind of good for really one, one situation, which is data backup. But most people are using cloud services to do real processing. And that actually introduces uh, further further complexities. So, again, if you look at the SHREMS 2, that that sort of um, identifies that data sovereignty is not, in fact, sufficient. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. You have to consider uh, the other ways in which that data could be uh, obtained. Now, you may say that this is actually... um, uh, shall we say, a little bit excessive, because most organizations are not Facebook, and most organizations are not actually collecting your data. They're simply trying to do their processing, which may include your data. So there's a difference between an organization that's actually actively trying to gather the data of people from, uh, shall we say, another organization, which is simply saying, well, we need your name and address to be able to ship the stuff you bought. And that is perhaps the problem that the Schrems II judgment hasn't differentiated between these things. And the EDPB examples are really quite extreme. So again, to give you another example of uh, the EDPB recommendations, which goes through business process as a service. So... You may say, well, in fact, it's clearly the case that um, uh, that, that, that there's technology and you're storing data in a database that's in the US. But let's imagine that you have your data held in a database in Dusseldorf, but you have a human resources consultant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they need access to that database. Well, actually, as the judgment goes, that access is in fact letting that data go out of the EU. And so that's pretty restrictive.
2: So do you have any ideas how to move forward? We know that there was an announcement about an agreement, um, but do we know anything about that yet?
1: I think the simple answer is no we don't know the details but the European data protection board mm-hmm. did publish a uh, a document in January of this year which is a draft and what the uh, what appears to be what is being discussed and negotiated is to find a way that uh, Organisations in Europe can uh, confirm the first thing that we said, which is that if they move their data into a cloud service provider in the US, that they have a way of uh, establishing that that data will be treated with the same governmental level controls that it would have been had it been held in the EU. So that. Um, you can move back to contractual and legal controls rather than having to depend upon more complex technical controls like pseudonymization and even not allowing the ability for um, business processing as a service to take place outside of the EU. So that seems to be the idea. now um what when you look at what the press announcements have said, and well, having gone through brexit from from the u k uh it took a long time, and nearly all of that time uh there were press announcements which said there is intensive negotiation going on, and that was almost exactly what the words were of the press announcement from Brussels following um the uh, announcements by President Biden that there are intensive negotiations going on.
0: As we are analysts and not lawyers, we can only look at the uh, at the results coming from such a ruling, from such laws, from from such data transfer. Uh, when we talk to our our customers, to the people that read our research documents, um, what would be as of now the expectation and the recommendations that we would give towards? people who are actually in this situation, not necessarily Facebook, but more the the, the more traditional type of organizations that use cloud services, Mike.
1: Yeah, okay. So the the recommendations that we would give are really based around what the European Data Protection Board recommendations are, which is that it depends upon uh, what is happening to your data in the cloud and in in particular we're not really talking about advice on business processing as a service but most of the organizations are interested in can we use the cloud service so uh, if you look at the uh, the capabilities that are required to co- to comply in absolutely the letter of the law if you are holding or processing personal data under the EU uh, definition of personal data, then the minimum is that you need to encrypt it. But if you're going to process it, you should theoretically have it encrypted whilst it is being processed. And so one of the major vendors offers you a solution, which is, that uh, they have what they call double-key encryption, which basically means that um, they never see it, but you're processing it on your uh, desktop or laptop in in the EU. Another approach is what is called um, uh, enclaves, or protected enclaves, that uh, there are processor chips which have built into them, uh, guaranteed and, uh, shall, shall we say verified capabilities, which mean that when the data is being processed, it is only decrypted into a secured enclave, which is inaccessible and guaranteed to be inaccessible by hackers. And that's because, well, there are loads of, um, uh, open source tools that you can find that can scrape the contents of a uh, of a ram. you clearly need to encrypt the data when it is in transit now the other uh, the other approach which uh, is is uh, taking off is the approach of using pseudonymization and pseudonymization is a kind of encryption technology uh, where uh, you can uh, still process the data. And the good thing about pseudonymized data is that it can be used by artificial intelligence machine learning to do training and then subsequently to do analysis. But it doesn't really sort of work terribly well where you've got a, an old fashioned hand coded um uh, piece of application but uh, the the UK's ICO says if you're going to share data then the safest way to do it is to uh, to um pseudonymize it now beyond that there are technologies that are really in the the nature of um, emerging technologies one is something called multi-party computing, where there are a series of mathematically provable protocols where you can uh, share data between people without actually divulging all of the data. And the classic example of that is there is a way for people to say, well, let's say we've all going to get a, a pay rise. And uh, typically, this is the, the problem of the um, financial services traders, that every year they get a bonus, but they're not allowed to tell their bonus to their colleagues. So whoever's got the biggest bonus should buy the drinks. Well, there is actually a protocol which allows you to figure out um, how who got the biggest bonus without defining what that bonus was. So that is currently used in some systems for auctions, but it's not generally available. And pseudonymization is a kind of subset of that. And the third one is homomorphic encryption, which uh, is uh, a way of encrypting data that allows it to be processed. But that is still highly computationally um uh intensive so it's something like 40 times more intensive than uh, than uh, than ordinary encryption so the trouble is that most of those answers are fairly difficult and at the same time you have the way that the law is being interpreted is pretty draconian so for example in april 2021 the uh, Portuguese Data Protection Authority actually gave the Portuguese Census Office 12 hours' notice to cease and desist from using a US-based cloud cloud service. So if you are in one of those kinds of organizations, then you're going to find it um, uh, pretty, pretty difficult and challenging to comply with the laws it's interpreted at the moment. So what I guess everyone is hoping is that there will be some kind of um, agreement reached, whereby, shall we say, we have a a, um, a safe harbor three or a, 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 a another iteration of some kinds of guarantees that is underwritten by the U.S. government that enables the, uh, the the people in Europe and the European uh, information uh, information commissioners to believe that that data is being treated in a similar way if it is living in in the US uh, to others, because that deals with the data protection.
0: Right, we do not know much about what has already been, um, about what has been done or, uh, as of now, uh, but nevertheless, there has been a, a press release by the White House. Annie, what is the content? What do we know as of now?
2: Yeah, so we we get a brief glimpse, um, which of course it does line up with what you've been explaining, Mike, um, and it's really it's looking for implementing a new mechanism so that EU residents or citizens are able to seek redress um, if they feel that they are unlawfully targeted by, for example, um, intelligence activities if their data um, has been transferred to the US. Um, And so really bringing in a a practical and a legal um, uh, step forward rather than needing to only rely on the technical measures which Mike was explaining. It does also look to um, address those intelligence activities and acts, um, the Patriot Act, for example, and strengthen the civil liberties and the privacy protections, considering those relevant acts that um, made the US EU privacy shield um, uncompliant to begin with. So those, um, those are some of the main focuses that we have an idea of now, and again, this is at a, a theoretical level. We don't have the details yet. Um, for the most part, it's it's being referred to as a transatlantic data privacy framework. Um, but it would be hopeful if we did think about this as a a a privacy shield two or a safe harbor two or three, whichever iteration we're on. Um, and this would be the the optimistic look here that. Um, uh, these agreements are being strengthened to better include data privacy and better respect this um, in all jurisdictions. Um, the less optimistic way to look at this would be to think of it as a SHREMS-3 uh, agreement where um, this uh, doesn't go past um, the political sway that uh, one country could have over the contracts um, between enterprises. Um, and so if it, if it does end up that this agreement ends up back in courts, um, we could think of this as a Schrems as a 3 as an extension of the, uh, the um, breakdown of data privacy rather than um, the strengthening of it.
0: Mike, what's your opinion? Do you agree with Annie's analysis? Oh, oh yes. I, I think that
1: what, what everyone is hoping, what everyone wants, is to have uh, an agreement which will not be uh, challenged in courts because it will actually be substantive and meaningful. Uh, the worst outcome is a politically driven uh, fudge which ends up being challenged in court and which will then uh, leave many more years of uncertainty uh, over things.
0: Right, this is a a not very typical episode of this podcast because we are really dealing with the actual news that just has happened. Um, I want to highlight that Max Schrems will be a speaker at the EIC in Berlin in May, and maybe we do know more by then of what has happened in the meantime between today and the EIC. Uh, and of course, we will cover this uh, topic uh, in the future as well, so that that you can find more accurate, more more substantial information on what's going on in that area as of now. As an as an outlook, um, what should we expect um, with regards to that topic going on, Annie and Mike, maybe starting with you, Annie, what, is, what are your expectations um, in that area in general?
2: Yeah, well, a, a big hope, um, and um, I'm not sure if I can put it as an expectation yet, but something that I would really look for is a differentiation between um, social media platforms um, and enterprise business um, data transactions. Uh, I think we we do need more conversation around this, and hopefully more detailed information in the agreement which has come out. Um, so I'm very curious to see where it stands on that differentiation.
0: But right. I think this different, differentiation is very important. And I hand over to you, Mike. I think this is also an important point from your point of view, right?
1: Oh, yes. I think, uh, I think that differentiation is important. Um, there, is, there is, in fact, one further thing. And uh, as all good tales come to the end, you, you always say, well, but that is another story. And we've talked about data sovereignty. But there is also the problem of technological sovereignty and uh, with this interconnected world we have seen the challenges that come when one part of the world falls out with another part of the world and at the moment we're all heavily dependent upon services that are delivered from outside of the EU depending upon technology which is coming from outside of the EU and uh, it would be uh, quite disastrous if there were some situation where that we fell out with the pro- providers of that technology which meant that we could no longer do the processing that we expect so there there is a lot more uh, under this iceberg than just at the top come to EIC and find out more about it <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and and we just really dipped our toe into the water of where this iceberg is. Um. So we just started this conversation. Thank you very much, Annie and Mike, for for being my guests today and for discussing this really um, um, current um, developments that are going on. And I hope that there will be more sub- substance around these these publications um, available very soon. Thanks again, Mike and Annie, and latest see you at EIC in Berlin.